Okay, good morning, guys. In the Vine Church, we don't normally do big, long introductions, but this one is different. Uh, Thirteen years ago, we had, um, you know, we were in, Elm and I were in Wembley uh, preaching to a couple of thousand leaders at Wembley Arena, and in the congregation that day was a young pastor and his wife from Sweden called PJ and Ulrika, and they were thinking we need to talk, but we didn't actually meet them or talk then. And I think the next time we actually met or talk was maybe in South America, where we actually finally got the chance to meet them and instantly become great friends. They got a great church in Sweden in a place called Vasteros. For years I couldn't pronounce it, so I just called it Easterhus. And never told them why. But, um, but uh, we became great, great friends, and uh, they're now planted another church, and, and um, they, you know, they've been, they've been doing some amazing things over the years, and they're great friends and great support. Anytime we had a conference here, they would come over, bring the people, and, um, you know, it's just been a massive, massive blessing. And I was trying to think of one specific thing to help you tune in to what they're like and who they're like, and... Um, and it came from Sam, I think it's 149. Uh, and this pretty much sums up PJ and Ulrika and the ministry they've got. Because every person that comes has a unique anointing and ministry. And um, Psalm 149 says that the Lord delights in his people and he crowns the humble with victory. And uh, I thought, that's it when I woke up this morning. Anytime you're in PJ and Arika's company, or anytime they preach or bring ministry, you could be in that humble place. You could be in that place where you've lost, it, things are not going well for you, you don't feel good, you may not even want to see anybody. You, you're just in that humble, you're in that low place. And you, you spend time with them or sit under the ministry, and you walk away actually in the Hamptons last night, and you feel someone's just put a kroner a kroner or a crown on your head. It's like Jesus himself just came down and put a kroner or a crown upon your head. That's the only language I can think of to describe the impact, and I believe that's the anointing they carry when they travel to the nations. Whenever they bring the message, it's like Jesus shows up and simply anoints. So I pray that when you leave here today, you will leave this place with that sense, no matter what humble position you're in, that you realize God's taking you to the humble place so He could put a kroner or a crown of victory upon your head. And before I get them to the platform, there's a young man taking his seat right there. And I'm telling you now, that young man fell and destroyed him. Every bit in your leg you can't possibly destroy. He's been bedridden. They told him he'd be bedridden for the best part of a year. It was only a few months ago. Horrendous. But he's pulled it all to stop to come here. And uh, we're going to believe, Gregor, Brody, for you to leave this place. I called you Lazarus when you walked in. So I don't know what we'll call you when we walk out. We might just call you over. But we're believing for you to leave with a crown. First, give it up for Gregor. Give it up for him. Come on. <laughs> Top man. Great to see you, So, every person, young person that has a Swedish flag on the face, stand up for a moment, please. If you've got a Swedish flag painted on your face. Yeah. Most of them are in the, the kiddies gangs and the young ones. So, give it up for those guys. There's a wee Swedish welcome. So... 
For uh, PJ, is, I believe it means per Johan, and um, Aurika. Let's give it up for them as we welcome to the platform. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. So how are you doing? Is all right? I'm like a, I'm a Nordic guy, a Swedish uh, uh, person with a uh, bit of a southern accent. So that means I, I need to be some kind of uh, Nordic redneck, I think. But uh, I hope you excuse the, the accent and, uh, and try to not, not blame me for all the stuff the U.S. has done. But uh, the Swedes are not uh, without blame here in Scotland either. So uh, we'll get back to history in a while. But first, my wife, Ulrika. Well, PJ is going to preach in a few minutes, but I just want to say thank you. It's so good to be back. This is home away from home. Thank you, everyone, and especially to Jimmy and Alma. You know you have the best pastors in the world. They have the biggest heart, and I don't know where we would have been with our church and as a family without this couple. They mean everything for us, and I want to honor them and love them in any way I can. They are the best. And also, greetings from our kids. I know that some of you know our kids. I, I told PJ we should have a picture. I can have that another time. We'll be back. Uh, Robert is now 26. He was here a lot when he was a teenager. He's married. He's been married for four years with Amanda. She's also been here. And uh, we still have a daughter, <laughs> Victoria. She's also been here. She's almost 25. And she's also married now with a Canadian. How about that? But they all live in Sweden. The Canadian's name is Luke. And he's our creative worship pastor. They all work with us in church. How about that? Glory to God and no one else. It's like, hey, being a parent, it's the most humble work you can do. <laughs> is it right? So um, nowadays, I've been working with media as a journalist for 25 years, but now I'm employed in church, working as a pastor alongside with this handsome husband of mine. Thank you for having us, PJ. Thank you. Well, it's a bit of a, a, a I guess, the, the journalist uh, the introduction that you have the, uh, the, uh, the basic facts of who we are and what we do. Well, we've been pastoring for almost 30 years now. Next year, actually, we've been married 30 years. And um, in a few weeks, we turn 50. Both of us. Two days in between. So uh, uh, that's one of the amazing things, you know, when you have kids, you know, entering into ministry and so on, that they're not too discouraged, you know, being in ministry when they know what they know. Because, you know, when you're a pastor, there's a lot of stuff happening in life and, and over the seasons. And uh, when you have kids that are not too, too discouraged about what church life is, you know, and, and choose, you know, uh, something has happened. We, need, we all need our own calling. We all need, need our own revelation of who Christ is. Without that, we, I mean, nothing would really uh, uh, continue to grow in our life with, with Christ because we can't live on the faith of our fathers, but we can't stand on their shoulders. It's what they, uh, brought us here, but we need our own revelation and we need our own understanding of who Christ is to move on in life. And I want to talk some about that today. But huge thanks to, to Jimmy and Elma. Uh, this friendship will continue and uh, you are truly heroes helping so many over the years. And I mean, Sarah and Stephen, Friday night, what a blast. It was a phenomenal night. I mean, I, I want to 
I want to encourage you know you to pray for them and to um, engage in in youth ministry because it was a sensational experience. Not only the stuff that you did for the Swedes, you know the Swedish flavor and all the stuff we we experienced, but but it's a uh, a uh, it's a booming ministry and I think it will grow rapidly. It's uh, it's really exciting when you meet a church uh, that has that kind of youth group. So so. All the best to you. And, of course, Aaron and Lindsay, what they've been doing over the years, they're just gold. So, so uh, this place has a special part in our life because, you know, our son was a bit lost. And he came here. He met Christ. Was transformed. And what he is today is very much thank to you, Jimmy. So all the best. Um. I woke up this morning with, with a picture. I don't, I don't really know it was. Oh, I, I, got, I got to admit, yesterday I watched like 10 minutes on, on, on a movie on TV called Battleship. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, if you have, you, you will understand what I'm saying. And uh, if you are uh, uh, totally against movies and so on, God will help you to survive uh, this picture. But... Uh, it's it's a, it's a it's a uh, it's a movie. You know, it's like a kind of crazy movie. I think about you know stuff from outer space and a warship from the forties and old guys uh, being the solution together with young ones of liberating Earth from disaster. It's not really the kind of scene I, I enjoy when I watch a movie. I watch movies which my kids says they you know these these movies are slow. Boring. I think you don't need one million explosions for a movie to be good. It only needs one specific moment and it can be a, a masterful piece of movie. But this Battleship movie um, made me think, and I woke up this morning with, I think, something that stirred me about your place. And, um, you know, battleships, they've been around since the 1700s. And, and the last one, you know, the huge battleships from, you know, like the Second World War, they were retired and pensioned. And the last one was actually retired as late as 2006. It was the USS Iowa. And um, the crazy thing about Iowa is that uh, um, it was um, put aside to uh, be some kind of reserve, but they put it into to uh, full operation uh, in different seasons and then was put back in some kind of uh, uh, retirement. And, and the last time it was put back into uh, action, it was uh, serving during the Gulf Wars. And, and um, there was an incident that happened that really uh, was the final blow to the ship. And that was a, a turret exploding, uh, killing 47 men. It was, a, it was due to uh, some critical facts regarding uh, the, the maintenance of the vessel and uh, of that turret, you know, where they have the, the cannons, you know, the, 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 the artillery. And uh, it was also something that was connected with the malfunction in the systems of how people deal with explosives. And um, 
And when I was, was, was thinking about this, I, I really felt like the Lord was speaking to me that there are stuff that are being retired because they get a bit obsolete and they are like, a, like a, uh, an old dinosaur uh, that we sometimes, you know, we fancy, we like the history, we are, we are connected with stuff in history because it gives us some kind of... Uh, romantic picture of how stuff was done in the old days and uh, it could be the same with church church life can be the same uh, and today some people they they go back to old religion like the romantic picture of how stuff was done yesterday some people, they want to move on to some kind of future where you see just small dinghy boats or motor boats. You know, you buy your own gun and you sail away and you try to fight the war on your own, but you don't realize that you need some kind of central command to be effective in the spiritual war that we're at. And today we see something new happening. And I think on a global level, we see the birth of a new fleet. Uh, I know you guys here, in, I mean, of course, you've had this uh, kind of, you know, vote you did here in Scotland about, you know, want to stay in or get out or whatever. But the, the, the empire is still here, you know, and you're building two new aircraft carriers. I know that. And the idea behind that is not just building two ships, but building a system with a central command connecting vessels to an idea of how to fight the battles in a modern time. I think church is the same. There is a history that all brought us here. We stand on the shoulders of heroes and, and systems we've um, used to expand the kingdom over the years. But there is also a nostalgic experience of that, that drives people back to old religion. And there's also a season today where some people, they want to fight their own wars. They don't want no central command at all. Everybody wants to do what their own thing. And I don't think that works either. There is a need of a central command, but there's also a need for church to embrace its time, to be effective in this time, to build something in this time, that can actually change this world. And that is why I think nowadays a lot of churches are multi-site. You know, you're one church, but you're in many locations. And there are various ways of doing this nowadays. But most of all, I think for us all, it's important to understand that it's like a light tower. For the light to shine far away, furthest away, it needs to be strongest, most powerful, the brightest at home. Because all we do, we need to do out of strength. And when we build a strong foundation, a strong home base, there is nothing that can hinder us to touch the world. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need church. That's why we need the vine. That's why we need uh, Dunfermline. That's why we need Scotland. And that's why we need Europe. We need Europe to be strong. We need this part of the world to be strong so we can reach the world for Christ. Are you with me? 
Can you just embrace the picture? Can you see the, the power of the picture that we need this, this home base to be strong and to be loved? There's nothing like family. And family, which is strong, can reach the world so much more. We're working on a series at home which is called Everyone. And uh, we have a saying today that says that every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters to God. Every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters to God. And I want to teach you something about this today. So if you want to put a title on my message, is uh, this is everyone. There was an old Mercedes-Benz uh, ad or a commercial on TV that showed uh, their car colliding with a cement wall during a safety test. And uh, someone asked this company spokesman why they didn't enforce their patent on the Mercedes-Benz energy-absorbing car body. A design that evidently was copied by so many other companies because of its success. And this company spokesman, he replies, uh, the matter of fact, uh, in, in, in a very clear way. Listen now what he said. He said, because... No, this is the answer to why don't you enforce your patent more so all the others have to pay for it or all the others are, you know, can't get a hold of your invention. And he said, because some things in life are too important not to share. Some things in life are too important not to share. And you know, the early church had a remarkably difficult time following through on Jesus' command to go into all the world. I mean, we, we, we sometimes, we, we just, you know, race up, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the lifestyle they had and what they did in Jerusalem. And, you know, we, we come to Pentecost and everything has changed. All the chicken guys, you know, the, the wimps of yesterday, all the guys who failed Christ, all the guys who, who uh, was uh, uh, in, a, assist, in a situation where they could, you know, feel a bit... Uh, anxious about what they've done, they now restored and, and uh, the Holy Spirit comes and they're filled with Him and, and uh, they get the power to just be released into the world. But still, they stay in Jerusalem. They stay. They got it all sorted out. They are forgiven. They have received uh, salvation. They're filled with power. They speak in tongues. They see miracles. People get saved, get baptized. Church is growing like crazy. But still they're not doing what Christ told them to do. They were supposed to wait until the Spirit came, filled them. But then they were supposed to go into all the world. And they're staying. And I know our history of failure is not our final destination. We agree on that. No, our history is not our final destination. So that's why Jesus was using Peter. That's why he was using Paul and all the other guys, you know, and girls. Because the history they had was not their final destination. And failure is not the end of the line because what's right with God is greater than what's wrong with us. You with me? What's right with God is greater than what's wrong with you. Your history is not your final destination. And God sticks to his plan. God sticks to his purpose in you. Because it has a name. 
And the name is grace. And that name spells Jesus Christ who died for you. When I look at this season in, in the early church life, not following through on the command Jesus gave them to go into all the world, I see something very, very clearly. You know, if God didn't allow persecution, they would have ended up in an endless series of internal fights and struggles because that is what happens in church life when we lose vision and when we don't engage in our purpose. And this church, I mean, maybe it's human nature because change doesn't come easily. This church in the beginning is clustered around Jerusalem. And in Acts 8, we read something that really shocks us. And I think it's, it's a beautiful uh, scripture to just stay focused on for a while here. In chapter 8 in, uh, in Acts, we read these verses from verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the world. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of, the men, of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. This is the situation. And what I want to share with you today is this breakthrough. God is, is challenging us all to get into, uh, getting released of the pressure uh, of opposition by going into the world to scatter uh, for a purpose. The first thing is the power of one. In this chapter, we see one individual stand out, and his name is Philip. Have you heard about Philip before? The way he lives his life, the way he uh, uh, kind of... Uh, pursues his destiny because, you know, he's introduced earlier in Acts as one of the seven who was filled with the Holy Spirit, was uh, wise, had knowledge, had uh, the ways of doing things right, serving in the house. I mean, they had this serving, you know, at the tables, serving the widows, serving the church, and the qualifications for them were pretty high. And um, when we see Philip here, we realize that the spirit he was carrying was very zealous. He was about spreading the good news of Jesus to others. He was a one-man army. He was a one-man army that made a difference. He went to the despised Samaritans and sparked a revival. And God honored his efforts by accompanying his testimony with conversions and miracles. And the entire city of Samaria was affected by one man's willingness to share the good news. So there was great joy in the city because of one person, the power of one. And sometimes I think we disqualify the size of um, our dream because we think we cannot do it. Because the dream God has put in our hearts and the calling God has put in our hearts needs to have an outflow, something that is poured out into this world. And with that freedom, with that uh, uh, willingness to share what God has put in our hearts, great things can happen. And I think there is a need for all of us who are here today to realize that we are here for a purpose. And we are, if we're still breathing, there is a purpose with our lives. 
There is a, 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 a calling on our hearts to make a difference in this world. Perhaps you've uh, had your uh, weapons sharpened. You've had your uh, shield up and you've had your armor around you and something has happened in your life and you kind of uh, buried all the stuff that you were using to serve him. But God is calling you back into action because he's saying that there is great power in the power of one person. You know, one person with God is always in majority. One person with God. You can be the loneliest person in your job site on, or in school or even sometimes, you know, in your family. And you feel like nobody is like me. Nobody understands me. Nobody has the uh, revelation of who Christ is. And nobody uh, understands what I understand. And you can even feel like everybody's against me. But the power of one is phenomenal when we are joining hands with Christ. One person with God, one person with Christ is always in majority. Well, okay, if we're going to applaud, you know, everybody, come on. You know, we have, these, uh, we have these sports in Sweden. You know, you have great sports here. You have s football, as we say in the real world. We say football, and we don't mean that, you know, phony thing they do in the U.S. Uh, uh, football is the real game. But in Sweden, we have a game called bandy. Bandy. B-A-N-D-Y. It's only the Swedes, the Finns, and the Russians that play it on a good level. But we have a world championship when we face each other. It's actually skates on a soccer field. You play like ice hockey with a uh, crooked stick on the size of a field of a, I mean, like, the, like a soccer field. So it's, it's a pretty huge uh, uh, pitch, and you, you're shooting a, a ball that is just like this big. So when you're on the, on the stands and you're looking at the game, you don't, re you don't really know what's going on. But there, I mean, you see people, you see the skaters, they go there, and then they go there. And usually it's played, of course, in the winter. And in the winter in Sweden, it's cold. So we have, like, you know, gloves on. And there is a bandy applause, and that, is, that sounds like this. Because you got silences on your hands. Sometimes in church we have this bandy applause, you know. We shouldn't have that. We need to have the cheer on applause, of course. Come on. And you know, you can be a pretty, uh, pretty lousy speaker, but with that kind of crowd, you know, you can become a hero, you know. So thank you. In this chapter, this zealous man is changing the reality of so many people. And I want God to visit my community in such a way that there will be joy filling hearts where there earlier has been guilt, anxiety, fear. You know, when God steps in and changes things, things change for real. The second thing I'm I'm looking at when I see the scripture is the love for one. Because the most astounding part of Acts 8, at least to me, is the end of the chapter. When God reached into an amazing citywide revival and plucked out the evangelist and sent him to the desert south of Israel to meet one person. To meet one Ethiopian who was heading home with a scroll containing the words of Isaiah. 
And when we read that scripture, we realize that, that you know, you can see, you know, in, in chapter 8 from verse 26, that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kandase or Kandake, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake. Go near and overtake this chariot. I think it's a phenomenal uh, piece of scripture when we see what God is calling Philip to do here. Because this Ethiopian, who was the treasurer of his country, has spent a small fortune to get a hold of that scroll. Because they were all copied by hand. And the price tag of that scroll was enormous. But he's not understanding what was written. He has a problem. And um, this lone traveler is God trying to reach because he's taking Philip out of a powerful crusade to reach just one person. And I'm amazed how God cares for just one person. That he can take somebody who's in the middle of something that needs all of his attention to get, you know, uh, developed in the right way. Because, you know, when you have a citywide crusade and a revival, there is stuff happening there. There are people with needs. There are organizational things needed to be taken care of. And there's finance matters. There are places to be rented. It's a, it's a, it's a structural mayhem. You know, you need to set leaders in place. And you need to set stuff in order. And, and, and suddenly, God is just taking this person out of that environment because of the need of one single person. Isn't it strange sometimes how we value the public, the performance, the um, position compared to how God looks at situations? And so easy for people to say, well, you should stay there because that is, you know, your most important, you know, place. But one person, one person, one single person means so much to God. The love for one. Jesus, who had preached to large crowds, spent a good part of one day talking to one single woman. This woman had a sketchy background as best, but she was important to Jesus. The power of one, but also the love for one. The third thing I'm talking about is don't underestimate anyone because everyone is loved by God. You know, it's easy to underestimate the power of one individual, and God never does that. He visited the city of Samaria with signs and wonders, but he saw the need of one single Ethiopian man riding his carriage through the desert. This Ethiopian needed some understanding, and Philip was willing to go there because God has sent him. There's a great story, you know, uh, about a guy called C.T. Studd. I don't know him, but if you're English, perhaps you know him. He was a national hero at cricket. He was a cricket player in England. And at 16 years of age, he was already an expert. And he was a part of the, he was a captain of the Eton team. And he was famous, had a great career. But uh, he heard Moody preach and uh, was converted and called from a successful career to China. 
And during that season, he inherited, you know, the, the, the amount of, I think it was $500,000, which is perhaps like 400,000 pounds or something like that. And within 24 hours, it, he had given it all away. He comes back to England. People think he's crazy. He's going to Africa. Some guys, they just, just challenge him and say, you're going to die down there. But he's responding that he's only looking for an opportunity to share Christ. If so, he's willing to die for him. He believed what God wants each of us to believe. God wants everyone to hear the good news that Jesus died for them. Don't let us get so caught up in politics, our own inner struggle, that we bail out when we need to be attached to our purpose. Because I know when we go for what God is going for, something is happening inside of us. We're getting healed. We're getting delivered. We had all the pieces back in the right position. Philip had already left Jerusalem. Now he's willing to leave a successful crusade because God cares about one person. This Ethiopian treasure is pretty interesting because he was converted and baptized immediately and then continued on his way home. And Philip, he never saw him again. He never saw him again. And when missionaries first came to Ethiopia, I got a pretty good bunch of guys I know that's been to Ethiopia, and we've been sending missionaries from our nation to Ethiopia for many, many decades. And, and uh, we all, I mean, we have, you've had some of our guys here, you know, who's, who's working with the unreached people groups of Ethiopia. There's a couple of them still there. And when the first missionaries came, there was a church there. There was a church already existing there. And they, they think historically that is a church that is descending from this Ethiopian treasurer. One man had to go home and he changed his nation. We never know the potential on a human level of what one person God uses to do to influence the world. We need to realize sometimes, you know, something more that there is something more than meets the eye. I think, you know, when I was here with, with the teenagers, you know, Friday night, you know, and you feel, I, I, I mean that, you know, sometimes I, I, I think and sometimes I say that once a youth pastor, always a youth pastor. And there's a part of me that, you know, I love it loud. To me, I'm, I'm always the guy, you know, walking down to the sound engineer church, say, crank it up, brother. Well, they are complaining. Well, send them to me. Crank it up. I'm 50, soon I'm 60, soon I'm 70. We need to crank it up. Who are we protecting? The ones we are reaching or, 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 or the ones already saved in church that have their own itchy ears? Go home, listen to your music. Let's, let's play some music people like. That's the youth pastor inside of me. There's a shepherd too that is a bit more balanced sometimes. Sometimes, not always. But, you know, when I go to youth night like Friday night, I just love it. Because I think there's something in me that wants to see. You know, that 14-year-old guy, that 16-year-old girl. What could be? Do you live your life with that kind of eyes? When you see people, when you meet people at church, are you just disturbed or... Do you see that young guy and see just, hey, this is a world changer. This girl's going to start a connect group or a cell group and reach her school. Or this one's going to be a worship leader. Or 
This one is going to be a missionary. This is going to be a pastor. This is going to be a business leader. This is going to be a homeowner. This is going to be a family man. This is going to be a great mom. This is going to be a good teacher. What do you see when you see people? And we need to embrace that vision of what is yet to come in people's life. Because if we don't, we kind of push down what is yet to come in our own lives. And we just get cranky and stubborn. This story is beautiful. You know, Louis Palau has been one of those great preachers of the century that has preached to more than a billion people. He was a young guy and a young kid in uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, when some British missionaries came there in tweed suits. You know, made all the cultural mistakes you can. They just, you know, they massacred the Spanish language. They were standing there preaching, you know, in the middle of the heat, you know, and, and the young kids, they were just looking at them. Can he just take off his jacket or his, you know, they're just sweating like crazy, you know. But they preached, and his dad got saved. Do you think they knew what kind of, what kind of a young guy was sitting there? You know, sometimes in life when we do things, there is, a, there is a, like a ripple effect on what we do that we can't imagine. Let's live big lives. Let's have big hearts. Let's live with vision. Let's live, live larger than, you know, the, the narrow-minded, small thinking that is so easily, you know, gripping our lives because of the problems we see in our own hearts. I love this. And uh, I also think there's a need for us to just embrace that God has a purpose for every person. You know, the power of one, the, uh, the everyone aspect of life includes you. Ulrika and I, we just enjoyed, you know, uh, these, these last few decades when we've had the resources sometimes to just go to Florida and vacation. And in Florida, they have long beaches and it's not so many people there. So I love that if you compare it to, you know, being in... Nice or Cannes or Spain or, you know, long beaches, like no people there. You can get at least a couple of hundred meters for yourself and just stretch out. And they have these lifeguards there. And, you know, it's like a, a bit of Baywatch feeling when you look at them. And, um, and you think that, uh, what are you really doing? And I saw a lifeguard suddenly jump his feet at his tower and looking at, at something happening in the water. Sharks, of course. And uh, I recall a story about one of these lifeguards. He took a Red Cross flag and waved it outside his, you know, they have these buildings like a porch and you have a small house there. And, and uh, he jumped to the ground and grabbed a life buoy and rushed out into the water. And with strong strokes, he reached that guy who was uh, almost uh, drowning. And waving for help. And in a few seconds, there was an ambulance there and, and uh, three other guards, you know, helping him. And this happened a couple of times the same day because there were so strong undercurrents. They call them rip curls. You know, they go in, land, and suddenly they wait, uh, uh, turn and they go outwards. And um, they rescue the man. And the story says that this guy who was, was, was um, looking at that same scene, he... Um, 
he wanted to say thanks to the dedication of these lifeguards. So he enters into one of those, those uh, houses, small houses of the lifeguard towers. And uh, he was struck by a sign on the wall in large red letters, which read, If in doubt, go. If in doubt, go. I was thinking about our own lives. If in doubt, go. Should be on the wall of every church. If in doubt, go. And on the table of every heart, as we see the multitudes of people around us, each of us would love to influence large crowds for Jesus, but it may be that he has called us to touch one single person. One single person who will change the world. It could be your friend in school, at your job, in your family. Let's make it real. Let's uh, make it happen. Let's change this world by reaching out and touching somebody as we go with the message of Christ. Is this okay? Can you connect the scene of the battleship and the easiness in our own lives to go back to what we know? To stay with what we know? The nostalgia of what we know? Perhaps we're fearful we don't like the challenges of, of surprises. I'll tell you one thing. I've, I, I like surprises. And my, my wife, she likes surprises too. They usually come in a little box. The smaller the box is, the better it is. I've learned that after 30 years. The smaller the box, the better the surprise. To me, it's not really the same. We went to our cabin in the mountains. We have a small cabin in the mountains. It's, it's, it's not fancy, but it's ours. And uh, up in the mountains, we were, I was fixing up this place. And, and Ulrika, she came uh, a week later. This, it was actually this summer in July. It was the second week of July. So she came to visit, oh, she came to visit me in our cabin in the mountains, which means that she likes to be there in the winter, but not in the summer, because in the summer there's mosquitoes, in the winter they're dead or sleeping. And uh, we're sitting, you know, watching some of the, you know, the news, and then I just wanted to grab a cup of coffee, and I, I stood up and I looked out the window, and I saw a huge brown bear walking by our cabin. And I was so excited. I felt like Man, this is the best thing ever. Honey, come and look. Come and look. Come and look. And she, and she saw the huge bear, you know. And, 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 and our discussion that night was not, what a great season we're in. This is the best thing happening. It was like, and we're supposed to take our kids here and our future grandchildren here. Let's sell this place and move somewhere else. I don't want to be here. Surprises attract us in different ways. Surprises attract us in different ways. I am sure that God has a surprise for you. That can be the small package that is exactly what you've longed for. But he will also blow your mind with stuff because he wants you to expand your thinking. Perhaps your cup of tea is not everybody's cup of tea, but I know one thing, and that is God has positioned you for a change. There is a change coming to Dunfermline. There is a change here in the vine. I've been here before. I feel relieved. I feel freshened. I feel, you know, there's a generation rising up, and I think you are 
one of those people, one of those persons who will see a massive impact on this area of the world. God bless you. Shall we just rise up?